John Reed. Uh, I'm live with uh, uh, Sina Matamid. Uh, did you get your name right? Yeah, you got it. Excellent. <laughs> That's perfect. I like it. Nice. So those of you can get his Twitter handle. Uh, Sina's one of my favorite thinkers on cloud, and it seems like yesterday, but it was right around the time we launched Genomica, you and I had a, a conversation about how your thinking has evolved around the cloud CIO and this, this issue of CIOs is coming up a lot. We have a lot of data on this that you and I can talk about that has come out, but basically uh, you and I are kind of sold on the value cloud, but CIOs are kind of in a bunch of predicaments. So we're going to yeah. go through some of that research, and you and I are going to offer our talking points. But uh, I also just want to kind of get an update on, you know, the last we left you. Uh, I know you're not the kind of guy that uh, <laughs> likes to rest on your laurels with this stuff, so I'd really like to get an update on where your research is taking you. And right, of course, yeah. your your day to day job informs that research. That's what makes makes it interesting for you, I guess, right? Yeah, it no, it definitely does. That's you, you got to live in it uh, to really have any sense of what what the vision might need to look like in the future. But um, yeah, it's it's been great. I mean, up till now, I think a lot of our conversations and dialogue have been around this notion of a new operating model for IS, and really that cloud was sort of the kick, the tipping point, and the kickoff point of where the, the paradigm shift of how the IS um, organization is going to operate and facilitate services for the business has been completely changed. And so, so now, instead of having a wonderful pre-plan and anticipation of what that world would look like, in a reactive mode, CIOs everywhere are challenged to rethink how they're going to structure their organizations and, and, and not be not look at, at cloud services as a threat to their own relevance, but to rethink their worlds and rethink about what, the, what value do they actually bring and that there should be embraced to cloud and that they need to wrapper cloud services with, with supporting services that actually drive a really great user experience. And so, so because it's been so much focused around really what is the mechanics of delivering this new IT model of operations, I'm now starting to delve into, okay, you now have that new operational model. What's the, what's the implication in terms of where you focus once you get that supply chain of, of services built out? And so I think that's, that's where I'm focused right now. And, and uh, I know very high level in concept and, and, and chatter, but that is, that's really kind of the next stage is what's the, What's the user experience? So, yeah, this is interesting to me because I I wrote my first email newsletter uh, on this content in 1998. It was called Extending the Enterprise, ah. and this was around the time when people first started thinking about, look, these internal transactional systems are not going to get it done, and we need to find right. ways to we need to find ways to connect into customers and suppliers. I think what's really interesting about today's conversation is that. Yes, you can get stuck on the technology hype around cloud and mobile and all that stuff, analytics, but when you really take a step back, what you realize is that we're reaching a little bit of a shift where some of the technology is actually there for us now, whereas it really wasn't in 1998. Right. The ideas were good, but the ability to really create that, especially for like a mobile type of workforce, it wasn't there. Right. Uh, whereas now it's there, the tech is there, but you really run a risk of failing if you can't uh, engage the user, with, and the user is no dummy. <laughs> no. The, the user has a lot of tools, and 
they might prefer to use their own tools over <laughs> that which you would provide them uh, if, if your tools stink, you know? Absolutely. Uh, no, that, that's absolutely true, and I think that's where the, the extension of thought is, is that once cloud emerged, the user is now in the driver's seat. It's, they, they could pick and choose the services that made sense to us or to them. But I think that the part that's really interesting, too, is I think you're touching on a generational challenge, right? Because, you know, you and I are now, we're old. Right? Yeah. And but there's a whole new in they've never known a world without internet, right? And and they know how to grab these tools and leverage it for themselves. And so these people are not saying, I want a job in the IT field. They go into the line of business, that's their practice, but they bring with them a whole wealth of knowing how to grab this tool from the cloud, that tool from the cloud, and construct a set of utilities for themselves to be effective in the job that they're really actually trained themselves for. And I, I, this is, so as much as we also, we, we talk about the disruption of cloud, there's also this generational phenomenon that I don't think has fully arrived yet, but we're getting close. And I only know that because I'm starting to feel old. <laughs> so yeah. I know it's, I know it's coming. And so, and so I think we're going to, we're going to see that probably within the next five years and where that'll be most impactful and seen is if you're actually living in the line of business, if you're actually in the business unit and you start seeing these college hires come along and they know how to leverage every tool. So now the trick is can they go get a tool from someplace that the organization itself has sanctioned and wrappered with the right controls and structures so that so that it's bringing even even more enhanced user experience as they latch onto it, and that that to me is really the the sort of the next hurdle for the CIO once they get past the operating model. But yeah, yeah, and I'll be honest with you, I think some of the conversation about everything as a service kind of bothers me a little bit because it to me it feels too abstract. The last time you and I talked, I really like how you described the IT as storefront because to me that's where it gets really interesting when you talk about users because users are used to storefronts now right mm -hmm. yeah and 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 we and we know the ones they like whether it's iTunes or yep. to some ex Google Play and definitely Amazon and a lot of it is the frictionless experience of consumption right yep. and so you think about that as a goal for IT where they're providing applications in a storefront but not just applications uh, many applications and really just plain services as you described as a storefront both for external constituents and internal constituents and that really reshapes the conversation to me and and like you're describing the storefront is not in that case is not just applications but it's wrapped with all the compliant secure necessary add-ons that used mm -hmm. to give that used yeah. to cause so many delays in the process. Is, is that still the vision that you're holding on yeah, to? Yeah, no, it, it is. It, it's absolutely it. I mean, if I guess if you want to distill what IT should be, it's an e-commerce company now. You are creating an e-commerce environment. Um, and I think what's kind of interesting is that, you know, are you a, whole, are you a wholesale manufacturer who's now creating a storefront for yourself? In reality, we're now an e-commerce distributor, right? We're a distribution company because we're no longer in the build business. We're actually buying services and brokering them through. And so, but when you do that, if you just allow people to just, 
you know, if all you're doing is just being an intermediary just to do the transaction alone, you're not bringing a lot of value other than, yeah, I guess there's one place they can go and click a button, buy what they need to buy. But if you can wrapper those things with things like identity managed services, so they have a single sign-on experience, right. if the application they get is integrated with, uh, you know, the master data system so that when they get that application, all their accounts and all the people they need to contact is already loaded in that platform. They don't have to reconstruct and rekey and do all that. You're now creating and an not just I got the app that I want to do my job, but I got the app that I want in a way that I can engage it from any device, from any place, and it's loaded with the information that I need. So it's I'm hitting the ground running and I'm gone. But the but there isn't this long cycle to engage. It's in the catalog. I grab it and I run with it. Now there is work to actually get it into the catalog, and I think that's the operating model that um, that that CIOs and enterprises are going to have to go through to actually build and create. But once you've done that, you're really you're really shaping a, a, a high quality user experience. And that's your end goal as an IT professional and as a CIO. And so it's, it becomes a really interesting challenge. And so we have a transition to make. Um, and in the midst of doing all that, you're still living in the same financial structures that you always had. You still have the same uh, organizational obstacles and siloed based on technology. So there's a huge shift. And so this isn't a technology battle. It's a cultural acceptance of change and and then realizing your new purpose on the other end of that change as opposed to the death of me and so it's it's really carrying people through that that's the obstacle that's what a great CIO I think is is challenged to do today um, to sort of get to the other side of this but anyway yeah and I think that brings us nicely into some of the research that I wanted you to riff on and Go sure. through. We we have uh, IDC's ten point prediction plan. I want to go through each one of them and sure. Uh, but before we before we get that, I, I want to start with a little bit of research from CIO.com because I think it frames this issue pretty well in terms of this. The the question that you have obviously is that a lot of these CIOs are are still bogged down in what I think of as just uh, at, at best, operational excellence. At worst, it's patching and maintenance, and yeah. you know, ch thankless chores. Yeah. Um, I, what I say about that of late is that if you don't do that stuff right, it'll get you fired. But doing that stuff right doesn't do anything. Doesn't help you keep your job. It just no. <laughs> you're gonna get fired if you screw it up. <laughs> right. Um, exactly. So, so there's so so you have to like get that stuff done. And and the survey results kind of from CIO.com kind of reflected that and. They talked to 722 CIOs from a number of countries, so it's a pretty yeah, that's why pretty decent, yeah. pretty decent sample size. Um, and 25% of those surveyed reported that they uh, perceive themselves as were or were perceived as colleagues by their business peers. So I think that's kind of what we're going for, right? Because yeah. you can't roll you can't roll out these relevant services without having that context. Um, but then. Uh, almost 50% conceded that their IT groups are viewed as by their fellow employees as a cost center uh, or service mm -hmm. provider. We get right. back to that in a sec. And then 20, a little more than 25%, which is a substantial minority, say the CIO role is essentially sidelined at their companies, so they don't really even have a seat at the table. Um, yeah. So I think that 
paints an interesting set of predicaments. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think that, so, you know, if, if a CIO's job is strictly to be focused on the run, right, and I think that's what we're touching on, and so much of the role has been that, and you still have legacy environments, right? You still have what you have. You've built business processes around existing infrastructures, and so part of the challenge is that as much as aspirationally as a CIO, I say, oh, no, I'm... I want to be the business visionary. I want to sit at the table. I want to be that person. You can't get there because your time and your cycles and your KPIs of, of measurement against how you are performing as a CIO are still against that run. And, and so there's a, t there's a time lag. There's a transition that needs to occur. And, but the, but the, sort of the, the goal is to move away from run activity because you're not bringing value in the run. You're going to bring value in participating in a business conversation and understand what the user experience needs to be. What can IT do to fulfill the experience in terms of strategy execution for the business or day-to-day -day process activities for the business and really be focused there and spend your energies there and that all your activities and your IS focus is really around that and then 20-25% of the rest of the activity is then in this overall run but the run is going to start shifting away from building systems and deploying and it's going to be really around creating this supply chain of providing services back to the business the rest of it will be consultative and it's going to be engaging at the business unit side which then has implications for what that IS organization is going to look like because eventually that will roll into the business potentially as well not the whole IS organization but but a good portion of it but but there's a hurdle to go through right you still have to get to the place of where you're changing the dialogue within your IS organization first and the focus before you'll ever find a place or a seat at the table with the business, the rest of the business. So it's it's a big challenge. It's a huge hurdle. So, yeah. Yeah, a couple of quotes. Uh, one about the group in the middle, that larger group. Uh, their top activities are improving IT operations, deploying uh, new systems and controlling IT costs. Managing IT crises is also high in the list. Mm. And then the CIO.com author wrote, um, that sounds like a CIO job description from 1995. <laughs> it does um, sound like it. So, so that's not especially promising for individuals in that situation. And then in the, in the so-called group that feels sidelined, that 20, 25 yeah. or so percent, says um, um, they, they don't feel like they... Uh, have a lot of control over the IT budget. They're losing the control over that to mm -hmm. other Absolutely. groups, lines of business. Um, much more likely to have concerns about the increase in shadow IT. Um, oh, yeah. Which makes sense because they would have very little say-so in what's happening. And it says, overall, they spend more time on cost control security and negotiating with vendors, less time leading change and driving business innovation. So I, I thought that was pretty interesting just from, the, just from the vantage point of, like, you know, I, I, I doubt if you sat a bunch of these folks down and, and described the vision that you're talking about, 
I, I doubt there would be very many of them that would disagree fundamentally with what you're talking about. These things are too far along now. Right. Um, but right. but it still does it still does raise a very practical issue, which is, you know, how do you develop that? How do you make that change within your own company? And uh, listen, I mean, I, I think some in some situations the culture is just going to fight you on it, and you're just going to have sure. to move on, and that's a reality. Sure. Um, but but for a lot of CIOs, the question I think is more about how do you take practical steps towards the transitions we're talking about while not losing your your fastball and the stuff that people do expect currently, you know? Right, right. And no, it's that's a big challenge. I mean, but but there is this like, and you know, we've, I've had jokes about this with uh, some colleagues, and say, well, at what point do you realize that your IT department is the shadow IT department, <laughs> right? When the rest of the business organization is taken off and they've run away with really driving their own services. And, and IT isn't bringing any value to that. They're just a cost center bucket. And that, that, that view of you, if, there, if, there are, if you're already sidelined with that view of IT, is that you are just this cost bucket, it's only going to get worse as business units go out, drive the services that they want, drive their own success, and they go, what, what is this group doing? They're not even connected to me in any way. My guys are the ones that are actually driving things forward. We're the ones managing the services that we get online. I don't, I don't even see the value for this. And, and the more that conversation goes on and mills around, the more challenged that is, right? Um, but, but I think, you know, there, you, so you have to, as a CIO, say, this is the new paradigm. This is where I am, and and so the focus has to be very very different. And you have to recognize that you are no longer in charge of saying this is the right system for you. This is the right platform for you, especially at the line of business. But you are in charge of saying, here's how I'm going to make your choice for services even better. I'm going to enhance your services, and you may need to start with just one area, one part of the organization, one that will then become the advocate for what you do and not the one that will discredit your value. And so you start rebuilding your credibility, but it is, it's a big challenge. You know, and I feel for uh, organizations where the IT department has already been relegated to the sidelines and now cloud's coming in to just punch them, you know, from the back of the head on top of it. So yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah, it makes me think that um, if I were in that situation, I would try to dedicate part of my... I might incorporate a little bit of that shadow IT mentality and work on building an app that has some value, some customer-facing value or some... Yeah. You know, and and essentially established my entrepreneurial credentials within the business. There was a um, in the CIO.com report. They mentioned a number of examples of CIOs who have done these kinds of things. One of them was a CIO of a, a finance-related company that they uh, built a smartphone app uh, that allowed customers essentially to um, pre-qualify for certain kinds of loans with their credit unions while they were sitting at car dealerships. And essentially, the issue was wow. essentially the issue was that customers didn't always want to get loans from the car dealer and so they were put in a situation where they were often having to shuttle over to their bank or credit union yeah. to get to get the loan and then come back and so they created a situation where that customer could do it on their mobile phone without leaving the car dealer that's brilliant and and, and uh, one billion dollars in loans were issued via the mobile app 
that that team built. And so I think that's just one example. Um, and listen, I can't. I'm not saying I'm going to sprinkle pixie dust on these predicaments, but my point being, I think I think you might have to get a little bit aggressive yourself um, mm -hmm. in order to overcome that culture. All right, so I want to go through these this IDC report. It was um, sure. Ten, it was ten market predictions for 2014, and they were geared towards the challenges CIOs are facing. Okay. Um, and uh, they they talk about this concept called the third platform, and I want to get to that in a little bit. Um, we can define that term a little bit, but it it's essentially IDC's version of mobile, social, big data, and cloud services. Right. We can talk a little more about that. Um, yeah. But so the first one, I think we've already covered pretty well, which is. Um, in two years, over 70% of CIOs will change their primary role from directly managing IT to becoming an innovation partner. I don't think there's any... Uh, no real, challenge there, yeah. Real, real arguments with, those per, with that prediction. We've covered that, I think. Um, the next one's interesting, though. Uh, before 2017, only 40% of CIOs will rise to produce business-enhancing insights from big data and analytics. So, mm -hmm. in, a, in other words, IDC is skeptical that, um, that big data and analytics are going to derive a notable um, value for the business by 2017. I thought that was um, interesting because huh. that, that's, yeah. that's a few years out still. Yep. So they're, they're essentially saying that we're... <laughs> That, that we're still in the early in, in the in the hype cycle, I guess you could say. Although they probably wouldn't appreciate that, since that's a different analyst firm's lingo. But sure, sure, yeah. What, what what do you think? Are we are we still a few years away from analytics helping out, or? I don't know about that. I mean, I I think um, I, I think if you're looking for an enterprise wide monster, you know, big data program and it's going to be executed and in place, you know, by 2017, then yeah, I, I would contend that that's not going to occur. I think there's a lot to be learned still on how you leverage it. How, what do you do with this? It's now, you know, a real-time system of learning, right? And what do you do with that, that data? I think where you're going to see success with it is in pockets of product experimentation by companies, you know, whatever products they're putting out in the street are going to be leveraging big data information, whether it be for marketing purposes or the engineering innovation, things like that. I think, I think that you'll see pockets of excellence within the company, within different enterprises to actually achieve big data. But, you know, yeah, is there going to be this enterprise-wide you know, center of excellence around big data, I think that's still a challenge, and, and a lot of it has to do with, I think a lot of people still don't know, and including myself to a certain extent, of what, what does it mean in total? Like, what is it going to, you know, how do I really take full advantage of this? And I think there's a lot of experimentation still to be had in the space, but um, I, I think it's, I, I think that you are going to see it take hold, but in very particular and focused areas, and so much will be learned on the back of those engagements that, you know, I think we'll see acceleration post those kind of activities and those success stories. But, I, yeah, as far as like, you know, I'm going to come in with this boil the ocean gigantic program and 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 really see it take foot. And I don't know about that. Yeah, I think I view it similarly to you. If 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 IDC is saying that you know, when are companies going to have a comprehensive big data infrastructure across your organization? Uh, two, 2017 might be 
premature for that in my sure. view. But are companies going to start reporting wins along this line? I think we're going to see see some. I've yeah. already heard some. Um, yeah. But but it's going to be like, in fact, I think if you focus on the smaller wins, you're much better chance of reporting one than if you try to build a huge architecture um, to handle all this. I mean, to me, someone said to me the other day, they were like, well, we've been talking about Predictor for 15 years. What's different about it now? And what I said was, it's what's different is the APIs. What's different is the external data sources that are deeply relevant to your particular processes, whether it's weather data or mm-hmm. data from local public officials yeah. that impacts, you know, how it is you you deploy products locally. Or, you know, I had a customer come up to me at a conference earlier this fall and say, we want to pull in sensor data into our uh, SAP environment. Um, yeah. So, so if you have a very specific use case, um, to me, that's where you're going to get a win. And if that's yeah. the case, then then I think um, that might work. Now, the next one is um, number three on our list from IDC. I thought this was a very interesting one. Seventy percent of CIOs will increase enterprise exposure to risk in order to accelerate business agility through increased cloud adoption. That's kind of a mouthful, but essentially what they're saying is, <laughs> yeah. essentially what they're saying is that the NSA-related Prism stuff and other sort of security cloud mm-hmm. issues that have come up are not going to be enough to slow down these trends. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think I, I think when you know, and you know, this this industry, the the whole tech industry has shown this time and time again that you know, if there is a challenge. Somebody is out there to help solve that particular challenge. It doesn't mean you need to go roll back, you know, lock the door, get back in, and, and draw down the curtains and go back to doing what you've always done. You got to get out of the house. You got to go and 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 engage in a very different way. People aren't going to stop. And innovation and 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 driving uh, business compet- you know, business competition is going to pull people out of their comfort zones and try to find new ways to actually um, you know meet these security challenges I mean is it is it a real issue absolutely it's a real issue but that means that you have to look to solve it and there's all kinds of models in play right now to really address that I mean if we're worried about data you know residing with the provider and it can be audited people are looking to encrypt the data before it lands within a cloud provider environment and so those service offerings are coming along um, there's I mean there's a whole host of things that the, even the notion of what is in the cloud and where my enterprise um, data resides People are starting to shutter their data centers, and and they're moving into monster co-locations. And guess who their neighbor is? It's the cloud provider that you see online. And so the separation between your cage and their cage is is a cross connect. And so now you're there. There's a different, you know, the security vulnerability is is much, you know, is greatly reduced. Um, and and now when you're engaging those services, it's really about doing the same kinds of things that you do internally, which is you want to validate that security controls are in place and that you're taking care of your data assets. You build that into the uh, the contracts as a requirement, and you create a system of auditing 
and you go and you spend money, cycles, time to go and audit to make sure they're doing what they say that they're going to do. But there's so many ways now to sort of address the issue and still leverage the, the sort of subject matter expertise that cloud providers can give a business uh, without saying I, it has to be one or the other and I just, I'm out, you know, <laughs> I'm going to step out yeah. of this arena. So I think there's a lot of solutions um, that are coming, but you have to make big changes uh, as a CIO to, to make sure you're embracing it properly. So. Well, I can sum up an uh, interesting anecdote on along those lines. Uh, I was at a hotel in London last week, and I badly needed to get some work done, and I was killing time in the hotel lobby, and they had a great Wi-Fi network, but it's totally open network, no password protect or anything, and so my choice was either get work done on that network or don't get work done. And I chose yeah. to get work. I chose to get work done. And I, I was feeling a certain urgency, and I think that that's not unlike the urgency that some CIOs are feeling. But there's also other aspects to it. Like um, Dennis Hallett did an interview with the CIO of of Box, a guy named Ben Haynes, who has a pretty deep sure. he has a pretty deep enterprise background. And what he told Dennis about security was that he would rather entrust his security to a cloud provider that has to get it right in order to stay in business versus an internal IT department. So I think there's an interesting view of that, which is just that the internal IT department is not necessarily as sophisticated and good at protecting from sabotage and security as one might think. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're not. And, and the other side to it is that, in a sense, if you go to a cloud provider who's just providing one single service, by its nature, that service is compartmentalized from your uh, other environment. So the big vulnerability in an internal enterprise is that I've got all my services internal, and it's just a wide-open party for everybody who's inside the network to have access to anything, and any kind of nefarious activity could occur because, you know, it's just wide open. So there was a time, you know, in, in, in the early 2000s we talked about compartmentalization, let's start putting firewalls in place and segment, and the cost just went up and up and up and up. And so now you say, wow, I can engage a cloud service, and by its nature, it's already compartmentalized. Now I just have to validate that they're putting within their structure the kind of controls that I'd want to see. And, and I think he's absolutely right. They're going to build in the kind of security um, profile and posture that any enterprise would be envious of and say, God, I really, I wish we had that everywhere. And so, but you have to pick and choose, right? And then there's there's still going to be sort of a Shecky the car salesman cloud service out there that you're going to have to look at and go, <laughs> there's no way I'm dropping any data off with you and you, you have to do your due diligence. So it's just a matter of, of, of spending the time, but... Um, but I think he's dead on. I think I, I agree with that comment. Yeah, the, I think the only final thing I would add is I do think, and I think IDC probably wouldn't disagree with this because they issued a full report on this. this these are just the bullet points, but I, I do think we are going to see some some industry variation on this whole issue of of you know cloud security, right? I mean, aerospace and defense and healthcare are two industries that come to mind where yeah. data security and compliance stuff is going to you know carry extra weight. But anyhow. Um, so now we're moving into uh, a few predictions that tie into your um, sort of young mobile demographic point. Um, number four, 
enterprise business mobility will require 60% of CIOs by 2017 to support an agile architecture with next generation mobile applications. That it's kind of a no-brainer, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Number five, the demographic shift to young and mobile customers will require 80% of CIOs in consumer-facing businesses to integrate IT with public social networks by 2015. That's an interesting one. That's a big one. Wow. I mean, I think um, I, I think there's an inevitability to it, right? I mean, that's again, I think that the this generation coming up, they're already living there. They're already participating and engaging each other in that space, and not too unlike the story where um, you know a business unit will just go and find a cloud service that they want. This is how people are collaborating and engaging anyway now, especially this generation that's coming up, and so you can't do anything about it other than embrace it and make sure that you know, you're know you maybe managing it in a way that's most secure as possible, um, but to really try to, again, lock the door and, and, and throw away the key and not allow it to happen might get you somewhere for 10 minutes and then people will find a workaround to that anyway and they're going to be there. So I, I just, I, I think, again, it's another reality that has to be embraced and you have to write, find the right solution. Um, but, um, but yes, yeah, so I, I don't disagree. Number six, by 2015, third platform requirements will drive 60% of CIOs to use enterprise architecture as a required IT tool, but only 40% will deploy enterprise architecture effectively. Now, there's a couple of things about this one. Yeah, first, loaded. <laughs> first, first, we're going to have to talk a little bit well it's about what they mean by third platform, but but also enterprise architecture. Yeah. Um, isn't that kind of a you know something we were talking about a few years ago? Like, um, yeah. Do we still do we still need this kind of like fussing over architecture, it seems to be only vaguely tied to business results, or am I wrong about that? Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting. I think um, I, I think two things happen for enterprise architecture that have been a challenge. Um, I don't think the messaging of what enterprise architecture was about was ever clearly understood and interpreted and deployed by any enterprise. It became very much about technology, but if you really look at the skeletal system of enterprise architecture, it started with business architecture, business strategy, business needs, and and then because of the complexities of building and running, the focus really all went around what is my technical architecture, but how do you map that back to the business need? And so the problem has been that it's always been an engineering exercise up, right? You start engineering and tooling and trying to figure out the, the ins and the outs of systems. And then you go, gosh, I hope I provided the business what they wanted. Oh, well, it really doesn't matter because I'm only custom, you know, I'm the only shop in town that can provide them anything anyway. And so the focus was so much around that side of it, like an engineering out kind of concept where really enterprise architecture was supposed to be about the business and then you know in right into the IT realm and I think 
that there needs to be some major rebranding around enterprise architecture and maybe we stop calling it that and just focus around business architecture and create a real practice around what kind of business capabilities do people need and once you understand that and, and create almost a center of excellence around how you're going to pull that information in as a CIO and, and be the data collector, which means it's a very business-related conversation, and, and that's a whole new practice um, in, in a way that I don't think enterprise architecture groups have sort of crossed that barrier very well because of the history. So I think that's that side of it. And I think third, um, what do they call the third? Third uh, platform, yeah. Third platform, which is really mobile. Um, it's big data. And what else did they have in there? So um, I would say remember. it's probably cloud, um, big data analytics, cloud, social, mobile. Gotcha. So I, I think, you know, it's kind of interesting because, you know, there's this notion about, well, what is innovation? What What is IT doing to innovate, right? And this is one of those lovely, you know, uh, buzzwords of, of where innovation really lives. And, and I think mobile is just an artifact of how people want to engage and right. I, I don't see mobile though the as the as a real innovation by itself in any way I think um, I think where the real innovation lives is going to be in big data and the Internet of Things and really cloud the device are modes of service delivery but I think where innovation really is going to come out of is in this notion of the Internet of Things and, and with the analytics against that. And we're going to learn a lot about people behavior, machine behavior, and based on that inf information, we're going to see tremendous innovations come out of that. But, but the, the mobile side of it and the, um, the cloud side of it to me is 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 a new delivery model it but it by itself isn't a, a mark of innovation so I don't I guess I'm a little conflicted when I when I hear this clustering of these major themes and of change in in the IT realm but still from a business perspective the meat to me is in is in the analytics and big data and and uh, Internet of Things so um, it should be yeah. interesting it's interesting they didn't really get into Internet of Things much in these predictions, which is probably a bit of an oversight on their part. Um, the other thing is that um, there just wasn't as much as I expected around um, embedding uh, products with sort of smart, yeah. sort of smart products, right? Like, yeah. I mean, and I guess if you're a services industry, it's not as important, but you know, certainly for any manufacturing company, um, IT has a golden opportunity to reinvent itself by smartening up the product line, so to speak, and that yeah. really wasn't listed there. I, I think the other danger with this third platform language is I think it runs the risk of you start to lose the the understanding of what a platform really is, yeah. which is kind of, kind of an important conversation. And, like, uh, Gartner has a similar sort of view on this, but they describe these things as the so-called nexus of forces, which is also, like, a heck of a phrase, but... But the, the point is simply that the thing I take away from this is that we have to be careful not to have a buzz conversation, but but the idea that these forces are converging and that they have a relationship to each other makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Like, like 
you think about cloud mobile and analytics and um, social as different Absolutely. elements that they interact together and to me that's the big takeaway but it comes down to more like which one you would prioritize comes down a lot I think to discrete projects right because business people don't sit down and say how can we do a project that uses cloud, mobile, social, and analytics? <laughs> right. You know? No, no, they don't. They, they, they sit down and they say, you know, why, why don't we involve customers in helping to pre-configure yeah. their own products so that yeah. we don't have to do all that for them, for example, you know? So, yeah. so I think those are the... And then from that conversation, you start having this broader thing or what technology is available to help with that particular problem, right? Um... But as, as far as platforms are concerned, I think uh, IDC didn't really talk about this, but um, in my view, that's one of the big changes we're going to see is the enterprise applications market really moving towards a platform view, which, mm -hmm. is, yeah. um, which is a major break from the past because in the past it was really about uh, customizing your, your on-premise applications with custom code to get the functionality you wanted. Right. And... Um, obviously, cloud changes that paradigm, but the problem with cloud is that sometimes cloud is just too standard for what customers need. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. and, and there's a there's a reason for that. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. so 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 okay, you can do some configuration in cloud products, but the point is, no, you can't customize the code base. That's the whole idea. No. Um, so you're going to need applications, right? Um, that's how you're going to, um, you know, build. Um, the kind of enterprise apps that you need. And you might buy some of those from partners or developers, or you might build them yourself. But the, the idea is they're all going to live on a platform. And to me, that's another thing that IDC didn't really mention here. But I think that's going to be a big change. And the way that manifests itself is that, you know, three years from now, this is John Reed's prediction. Sure, sure. Th three years from now, when buyers look at enterprise products, I think they're going to heavily consider the ecosystem of applications around the product and the ability to easily build on those products as much as they are the products themselves. Very similarly to how consumers assess mobile devices, right? Where, um, you know, they, they might never say it along those lines, but they gravitate towards products where they can download a ton of apps. Yes, yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. And I, I think it's an interesting point. I think, you know, for a while we've been looking at sort of the way and, and you know I think a little while ago we were having a conversation around this subject but um, that you know the the cloud providers when they built their line of business um, when they built their line of business services would then mature and say ah let me build a, a platform around this so I can still maintain the vanilla of what I do and then here's a platform that can augment that and so then it became this package deal where I get my SaaS service and then they're also providing me a platform. The reality is is that the platform orbit the SaaS product. The SaaS service orbits the platform. Right. And and that I think is the ultimate gotcha. If you're a cloud provider that put out a great SaaS product and then you put a platform right behind it and you got people hooked in, Oh, you got them. They're done because the platform, in essence, is really the glue for you to tie and interconnect business logic between different SaaS services. And and so if you if you just keep looking at a platform for every single SaaS service, you you lose the ultimate um, I think value proposition and and the purpose of what 
a, a platform environment will do. And that's not to say you're going to have just one platform. It won't happen. There will be multiple platforms, but they're not going to be coupled in a way with one particular SaaS platform and then be able to scale out. Unless you're completely on board with that provider and you're like, I'm all in, that's right. wonderful. But the platform is, and there are many different types of platform. And so, you know, conversationally with colleagues, we've been talking about that there's really the enterprise platforms and there will be the sort of core set of environments where you can do development and it may serve different types of constituents and, and different types of engagement models and so and that's fine I think that's okay but but to just sort of hand and this is one of those pieces where IT can really bring value around business line of business uh, service engagements is to then say we have an environment ready let's get your 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 platform in let's wrapper it with Identity management, that's a platform, um, not for development, but it's in, in looking at it from an enterprise platform view. Integration, how are we going to tie things together and, and create continuity and process, that's a platform in, in a sense. But then there's the core platform where you really are developing new vertical capabilities um, for any service that comes along and you, you add to the vanilla that their you know, providers providing. That that's really the I think the value added proposition of what IT can bring, um, but um, but it's essential to have that kind of as part of your enterprise tool set. Yeah, and I think um, I don't think IDC intended this, but the 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 IDC I'm just asking you guys to go easy on the platform lingo because we got to save it for for when we really need to talk about platforms. absolutely because because yep. customers right now. I, I have yet to run into a customer at an enterprise show to say that says to me, I really need a next generation platform. Um, but but I think they they, they are going to need one, and I think in so many words they've said it, but the lingo just doesn't quite yeah, resonate. And, so we have to be a little it, careful with that. And it probably does need to have some maturity around it as far as you know really getting it focused so people know what the animal is. Because you're right, it does get floated around, and even my inclusion of identity management and claiming it as platform even confuses it further um, but I think the, but the notion is that there's this collection of tools that are maybe central to IS that can help bring continuity in the enterprise with whatever selection of, of services that they require so that that's really the essence of it but yeah and the, and the other thing that's sort of missing from this list is the absence of sort of the urgency of developing APIs to open up your own data so that uh, yeah. outside either internal and or external developers can riff on that data and build their own value adds which kind of goes along with the platform discussion right yeah. you really can't you can't have a good platform discussion without talking about APIs and we're going to hear a lot about that because opening up your APIs is is a big step towards uh, solving some of the problems that you simply don't have time to solve yourselves because there's a lot of developers out there who would eagerly help you solve those problems if you give them an opportunity Right, right. No, you're absolutely right. All right, so uh, let's breeze through a few of the rest. We've covered some of them. Um, so number seven is interesting. Um, by 2015, 60% 60 of CIO security budgets for increasingly vulnerable legacy systems will be 30 to 40% too small to fund enterprise threat assessments. <laughs> so if you can wow. handle the... 
if you can handle the fractions and the percentages there. Um, I, I, what I take away from that is that there's some pretty scary enterprise threats coming that we're not totally prepared for. Do you we're mind not ready that? for it. Um, I think so. I mean, I think you, you, if you don't have a structured security program in an enterprise, you you are asking for it. And, and the other side to it, there's you know this old saying of like, you pay now or you pay later. You're gonna pay. You're going to pay, but it's going to come at a cost to the enterprise in a way that wasn't intended. You, you, there, but the value of a, a strong security program and having a, a CISO who can bring that, um, that, that sort of framework and, again, start with a business that understands how to engage the business and that it's not about sharpening my technical tool chest. It's about creating a practice of thought throughout the enterprise and that's the sort of security champion you need out of uh, out of a CISO who comes uh, within an enterprise it, it it's an essential tool i mean you ha i don't see any company that has any kind of intellectual property that they care about not doing this and if they don't invest in it um, and, and if they don't invest in it, and if they invest in it, they shouldn't see this as an IT function. They should really see this as creating a fabric of, of security posture throughout your organization. It's, a, it, it, it's an absolute need. I, and so it's going to be really interesting to see if that ends up being true. Wow. I think you're going to see a world of pain for certain enterprises and that will have a real impact and a negative impact to the business. So, Yeah, I think the other interesting thing that you, you kind of brought up with this intellectual property issue, which is sort of a separate issue, but the whole future of intellectual property is, is an interesting one um, and, and sort of the future of patents and patent law and, you know, the, the ability to protect patents, the... <laughs> the ability to go into business literally suing other people for violating their patents. <laughs> um, I think it's going to be an interesting few years for the future of intellectual property and patents um, in particular. Yeah. Uh, and I don't yeah. think we have a clear understanding yet of what the courts are ultimately going to decide around these things. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a challenge. I think the other part that sort of disrupts intellectual property, let's, and, and we won't worry about sort of company to company, but even within a company, and the effect of collaboration in an environment and how wide do you, of, of a bandwidth, right? If you look at open source, it's totally wide and, and the goal of open source is that somebody way out in the fringe just came up with an innovation but because you're open and you're listening you're going to capture that and you can roll that into an open source tool or utility. In an enterprise it's generally been very tower centric and they've had attorneys and they would be looking around you know every element of where the intellectual property is and having control on that data and knowing you know exactly what's being done and to to take that to the patent offices and, and secure it that it's once you bring collaboration in people are engaging in dialogue on intellectual property pieces that you know if you're not managing your communities, if you don't have community managers in place that know how to embrace collaboration, you even have that challenge internal to your own enterprise as well. And, um, and so it's, a, you know, it's the whole thing is, is, is up for <laughs> a review, that's for sure, but boy, there's just like an endless amount of disruption out there, so, yeah. 
Yeah, and it becomes very interesting because you 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 see it in the challenge facing marketing departments, where essentially um, marketing departments for larger companies essentially need to become um, their own internal media companies because yeah. consumer consumers are opting into content. We're moving into an attention economy where yeah. marketing to people in conventional ways is not working very well, um, but capturing their attention through uh, content that that really informs them in some way or gives them a meaningful or entertaining experience is what it's all about and that changes intellectual property discussions also because a lot of times that means giving away content instead of hoarding it so there's right. some massive there's some massive transitions going on that that IT folks also need to be involved with along those lines a little beyond the scope of IDC but I think those are trends that are pretty important um, okay so number eight on the list was um, such a mouthful I'm not gonna read it but um, <laughs> but basically it has to do with what we've already discussed about transitioning for uh, into business innovation and value so I think we already covered that pretty well sure. number nine number nine is by 2016 eighty percent of the IT budget will be based on providing a broad portfolio of IT and business services um, which I totally think is agree. pretty much along the lines of what you've already been saying um, and then number 10 I'm not as crazy about only because they gave themselves an out with a 2018 prediction which you know I mean I could predict in 2018 that um, that the sun's going to be blocked for three months and we're going to have nuclear winter um, <laughs> so you know so far off I think for the but it's, they say by 2018 adoption of third platform IT technologies will redefine 90 percent of IT roles and I don't know what you take away from it but I do take away the one. I don't really care about the accuracy, the prediction, but mm. I do think it provokes a very interesting conversation around uh, that. I think CIOs have to think about around to what extent can I do I have internal skills to meet these new challenges? To what extent can I upskill and train internal individuals? And to mm. what extent am I going to need consultants and offshoring and all these other components to put the pieces together? Yeah. No, agreed. I mean, I think. Um you know what is the core competency you want within your enterprise and and those will be choices I don't think the adoption of these things is in question it's going to happen the question is whether you want to bring in that expertise can you pull the right talent to ultimately drive a business innovation that that you're you're engaging these things in the first place for so you know it, the choice is really about again do I bring in and create a core competency or do I go look to uh, partners who are actually can deliver that for you and 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 drive the same kind of success story out of them but uh, yeah there's no doubt the adoption will come and I just think the question is from an investment perspective what makes most sense for the enterprise and, and it's going to vary it, it's really going to vary so I don't know there's a clear-cut answer to that yeah and going back to the state of the CIO um, content that we discussed at the beginning from CIO.com uh, they they published the agenda for uh, CIOs for 2014 and 72% uh, by far the most was improve the use of data and analytics um, the next one was support business and marketing goals, which is hardly surprising. Mm. We kind of touched on that a little bit. But the next two, improve IT project delivery and develop skills for emerging, emerging tech and innovation were, were pretty big. Um, and then reorganize or retrain IT to focus on 
business outcomes and innovations. So that's a pretty substantial amount. Those were all around 50% um, that, that are going to try to emphasize things pertaining to skills and training. And then the interesting part was the shift to a customer orientation is imposing a lot of skills pressure. 40, 47% 47% of the CIOs surveyed reported difficulties getting their IT staff to be more business oriented and customer facing. So I think that's an interesting concerning aspect to this because yep. because even if you have a, a vision of this of a business collaboration, yep. if if your internal team doesn't share that vision, then you're 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 pretty much dead on arrival. You are, and and I think that's um, boy that I think that one touches the ultimate nerve of of where we are because vision is one thing, even having a path to get there is, a, is another thing, but to bring your organization along and embrace it knowing that many of those people's careers, their focus, the thing that they've spent the last 20 years cultivating is up for disruption and, and a complete redo of skill sets, that, that's the big one. That's the big one. I mean, there's so much conversation around the technologies and because they are so disruptive, but I think this is the big one, and, and, and it's not just an IT story. I mean, I think if you look around the enterprise and different job functions, even at the line of business levels, you know, automation and, and computer intelligence is replacing a lot of, like, staple roles and jobs and functions that, that ordinarily you had to have a guy to do. And now you don't really need that, and, and I think... And this is where I see the behavioral, and I see acceleration in that when you start looking at big data, Internet of Things, as we start learning a lot about the behaviors of how we interact with machine and, and with people, and that's collected in mind, and we derive new you know, opportunities of innovation, those innovations are going to start accelerating in terms of the level of disruption. I think we're on a... On a we're we're on an upscale right now, and and I think we're only you know we're just starting to see the upturn of the level of disruption. I mean, as much as we talk about it, and we can put the disruption in a box, there's going to be a point where we may not even be able to put it in the box because it's going to be coming so fast and so quickly, and the amount of retooling somebody's going to have to do, and how nimble you'll have to be in order to be relevant, is the challenge, I think, for the next 50 years, it'll be really, really significant. So, I, yeah. it's it's a real. This is a really interesting marker, and I think in human history and and economics and everything is going to be sort of hinged on how we handle and manage this as individuals. So, it's tough now. It's going to get even. It'll become the new normal that you will be retooling what you do. As, as an employee, as a contractor, as a consultant in, um, every, in uh, almost every industry because of the kind of disruptions that are going to be coming as a result. But um, So it's an interesting world. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, pretty good note for us to wrap on. I think I, I just want to add to that, that that the education and learning itself is undergoing heavy disruption. Um, <laughs> And yeah. in, in some ways, it's promising. I mean, the the thing that's tough is that the budgets for training and education seem to continue to shrink inside of enterprises, from what I can tell. Yeah. Um, the promising thing is that if you want to embrace a continuous learning model, 
and incorporate everything from online education to uh, essentially uh, availing employees availing themselves of not just trade shows but kind of constant online opportunities to interact and grow their skills they're all there um, but the catch is that it does involve I think culture change inside of some organizations I don't know if you've run into this but I, I still know a lot of, of friends who are banned at their companies from participating in networks that are viewed as social in a derogatory sense but actually would have significant business value uh, to, to them in their day-to-day -day roles and so I think there's an opportunity there but it, it often it does involve change um, it does to take advantage of it yeah it does and I, I think and then that's part of the I'll, I'll, you know the other challenges we talk about the disruption to the IT organization and IT professionals but even as business leaders are concerned but you know if they if they have built a business that runs in a certain way for the last 30 years with and they go, ah, we don't need that stuff. We're still selling our product. We're still, this is, you know, it's done from grassroots. This is how you do it, you know, real basics. That's great, but the, but the competitive landscape is going to come and suddenly, because you're not paying attention, because you're not engaged, you suddenly find yourself as a, an entire enterprise product and service offering irrelevant. And, and so it's, it's, and, and, products that are going to be connected will be the products that people want in the future for better for worse that's that's where it's going yep. so yeah. I think that's where we're going to end but I do want to cool. say one thing which is uh, maybe you you and I will do a brief email on this and I'll add it in but cloud integrations no joke folks um, yeah <laughs> uh, you know so there's you know enterprise integration and the hassles that go with that are not going away and I think that's an important piece to take into sure. account um, but other than that, I think we pretty much covered the entire landscape, Sina. Uh, <laughs> Good. Thanks for Good. taking the time. Did we miss? Did we miss anything? I don't think we did. No, that's great. Um, that was fun. That was fun. Yeah, yeah. It was good to have something to riff on and also to check in on, on you. And we'll look forward to tracking your blogs. Thanks for keeping one step ahead on these conversations. It makes for a great discussion. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. That was great. Appreciate Enjoyed that. it, man. All right. That's Perfect. Great. Take care. We'll talk soon.